Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 59. This will be part two today of the top 10 greatest revenge films of all time. If you'd like to go back to episode 58, you can hear the first half of this conversation with my friend Frank Sturgis. So if you've already listened to it, here is a recap of Frank and I's, um, let's see, well, this would be the six through ten in our list. My number ten was the film Carrie, and Frank's was Gladiator. My number nine was Gladiator. And his number nine was the film Mandy. My number eight was Mandy. And his number eight was Angel Heart. My number seven was Payback. And his number seven was John Wick, part one. My number six was Rolling Thunder and... Frank's number six was The Revenant. So, so far, we had a, you know, in the bottom half of the list, we had a, you know, some similar ones. We both like Gladiator. We both like Mandy a lot. So, that's really cool, and they're both really good movies. So, uh, before we jump into the episode, uh, I'll just do a quick plug uh, you can catch all things Skeleton Factory on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. You can also find Skeleton Factory on Twitter at SFPodcastATX. And you can also find more episodes and you can support the show at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. So if you like this conversation that Frank and I had, um, (laughs) parts one, which was episode 58, and this episode, which is episode 59, um, were edited down um, just to make the listening experience a little more cohesive because it is a top 10 list. And we went through um, (laughs) the, the full episode is over five hours long. So we get into tons of tangents. Um, we, you know, we bicker and argue over certain things, and it's <laughs> it's it's pretty long. But if you'd like this conversation and you want to hear all that other stuff uh, that took place uh, <laughs> during our talk, you can go over to Patreon. Again, that's at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory and hear the full unedited version of this conversation. Um, I know I got up at one point to go to the bathroom. I'm still considering whether or not I'm going to leave that in or not. You know, just to keep it authentico, you know. Anyways, here is the rest of the conversation with Mr. Frank Sturgis. This is our top five in our top 10 greatest revenge films of all time. So sit back and enjoy. 
Okay, my number five is a 2005 film, uh, Cache, directed by Michael Haneke. Now, uh, Michael Haneke, another one of those directors where everything is very slow and very deliberate. and But there's a lot of... It's very stimulating visually, but without being dynamic. And Cache's... It's about this this guy who has a he has a television talk show and it's a it's like a literary talk show and it's in France and he starts getting these packages delivered to his house that are the videotapes of somebody surveilling his home and he doesn't know who and he tries to go to the, him and his wife try to go to the police and the police are basically like, there's nothing to indicate that someone's threatening you. Someone's literally sending you a video of the front of your house and nothing's happening. What are we, what do you want us to do with that? So the, the husband's trying to find out who's sending these tapes and every kind of subsequent tape that comes after that, he's starting to realize that the person who's sending the tapes knows who he is on a very deep level, like knows his kind of pre you know, public eye, married life. He's like, so, like somebody who's sending this knows something. I, they may, I don't know what they want from me, but it's someone who who knows my past. And um, he's trying to figure out who's sending these tapes. Like, there's a period of time where he thinks that his teenage son is doing it, and there's a bunch of people who he suspects. And then he ultimately finds out it's somebody from his past that he thinks he's almost certain is sending the tapes and even then you're not 100% sure and uh, oh my god I don't want to be Mr. I don't want to be Mr. Spoil everything because Michael Haneke films tend to have like it's kind of I don't want to say twist endings but when the climax happens yeah, he's the funny games guy he's the funny games guy yeah and um, it's just it's it's so mind blowing, and it's like the, the 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 amount of skill and patience he has making and and breadcrumbing out a, a story to the audience is I just respect it so intensely. Is there deeply. a cri- Criterion DVD of this? Is it a Criterion? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, Michael Haneke has a Criterion DVD with three movie three movies on it. One of them is Benny's Video. Which I is one of the, that movie's unbelievable. You did an episode on that. I did. I did an episode on Cache too, and yeah. there was one. Uh, it's called there's H- two, there's two, there's the two, other there's title for it, right? Hidden, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically, Cache, it's good on its own, but it's it's like it's very specific about what kind of what the subtext is, and basically. There was the Algerian War in France. Uh, the French government um, basically killed and drowned a whole bunch of uh, Algerian immigrants in one of their uh, one of their bodies of water, and it was a whole big fucking thing. And they pretty much France kind of has like this collective guilt over it, but they're they don't really acknowledge it. They're like just atrocity took place in like in the sixties. It was modern times, and they were just like. Oh, you know, some immigrants came here and they got a little out of hand and we had to fucking fuck them up and whatever. Let's not even talk about it. It's sort of like, you know, it's it's kind of like fire hoses and dogs on black people in the 50s. It's like when you see those images, you're just like, 
like how I can't even believe that this was this is, that was the same country, you know. And the main character he kind of has that sort of guilt from his past, and that's kind of what the kind of the subtext of the movie is because it's like I'm not French, so I had to like look into all this shit and be like, what the fuck is this actually about? Right? Because it, it's I feel like I'm missing something when I when I found out that portion the whole Alger- Algerian War uh, kind of stuff in there i was like that makes total sense now but it's they're they're not too on the nose about it you know they're sort of like um i don't know it's kind of like the it's kind of like the idea of white guilt but not with the like ham-fisted type of way that like american stuff like streaming services you know modern movies are with it it's 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 subtle Mm -hmm. it's there's sort of the subtle thing where it's like you guys have this kind of black mark, uh, no pun intended, like in your past, and there's a collective guilt for it, but no one's like, no one's facing up to it. And this, and this guy is like, well, now your past is coming back, and it's coming specifically for you. There's sort of like this collective guilt thing, but now it's all concentrated just on you, and now someone's fucking with you <laughs> on top of it. So it's not even like someone's directly coming to you. It's like. And it's tearing his family apart. Like it's dis- it's starting to dissolve his life, and it's fucking up his psyche and everything like that. And which and is what good revenge should do, right? Exactly, it fuck you up in in yeah, in all those mental ways. And and the way the revenge comes is like it's not like he it's not like some of these other films where it's like he got his come up. It's at the end, and you know it's it's sort of this thing where it's like his whole life starts to come apart, and then when he realizes. And he actually, there's there's no real resolution. It's not even like the the person who's getting their vengeance stands over him and be like, ha ha, 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 I finally got you sort of thing. It's sort of this thing where it's like. Right. It's not a knife in the heart yeah, ending. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sort of like the, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the, uh, the, the sort of collective guilt was this shadow that just went over his life and the, sh- and the shadow has no face or name. It's just this thing that came and it just ruined his life. A lot of people struggle with endings like that. People. Yeah. A lot of people do. And a lot of people kind of point at that in the, in the movie and be like, why, why wasn't there more explanation of like this whole story of revenge? Why wasn't it more cut and dry? And Michael Haneke is just not interested in cut and dry. He's interested right. in like, how did you feel along the way? Right. The journey. Yeah, because now you have to go back and see all those things all over again. You know, it's like, oh, it's it's, it's like it's like all the red doorknobs and fucking like the sixth sense where you go back, you're like, oh, there were all these little things everywhere. Okay. Yeah, interesting. But the shadow in 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 hidden or cachet, it has it's more fleshed out than it's not a MacGuffin. No, it's not a MacGuffin at all. It's it it has they flesh it out. I mean, they may not spell it out, but yeah, they they it's there. It's there, and every every kind of every kind of tape this guy gets, it's it's one of those things where his wife's like, well, "Like, what is this? Who's like?" They start getting mad at each other because initially they're like, "Someone's," he's, they're like, "Someone's trying to fuck with our family," and then at a certain point, the wife's like, "Like, like you have to know who's doing like who's doing this because it's like tearing our family apart." And he's like, "He's like, I don't know." He's like. She's like, he's like, she's like, what are you hiding from me kind of thing? And he's mm-hmm. like, he's like, I'm, I'm not. And, and then there becomes a rift 
and then like, when what's he, her name? and at some point he figures he he's like he thinks he knows who's doing this and he's like i think i know who's doing this i'm gonna go confront them and she's like whoa, whoa, whoa. she's like this could be dangerous like like who is this person he's like i can't tell you and she's like are you fucking serious right now he's like i not until i'm sure i have to be sure okay and so again that that, that rift between them and then they have the teenage son where it's just like He's sort of disconnected from his family and it's, and then you just watch this family just slowly kind of start to dissolve and it's so subtle, you know, it's sort of like, what was, it's like the whole thing of like when people go to like marriage counseling and if people, and if, you know, if you're rolling your eyes at your spouse, like, it's like, "Mm, this is going to be a divorce. It's like, you can see disgust and resentment building up and it's so subtle. It's like, it doesn't even need to be like long scenes of dialogue it's just like you're like oh my god you just see people hate each other and you see this guy the main actor is great he's you see him completely fucking fall apart as a person and everything is just if like this could be a silent film this could be a 2005 silent film and you would like i i understand everything that's going on it's brilliant it's like parasites like that if parasite had no sound i think most people would understand exactly what it's about Sure. And still feel emotionally what's going on. So if you had to boil this down into one, one revenge sentence, what's the revenge? Like, for example, John Wick is uh main character avenging killer of his dog, right? Like yeah. uh, Carrie avenging bullies. Um, so, who- so I would say the, the main character, he... Well, he's the he, one being avenged. He, 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 yeah, he displayed uh, a type of prejudice as a child, un, not knowing it wasn't malicious, but it was a type of prejudice where he couldn't have. Uh, he could basically, basically, there's this Algerian boy and his family was working for this guy's. His parents like kind of had money. They had this big kind of farm sort of thing. His parents worked there. And then one day, his the 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 Algerian boy's parents vanish, and, and the presumption is that they got killed in the massacre in France. And so he was an orphan. So the mom wanted to just adopt the boy, take him in because he doesn't have any parents. And then basically, the main character as a child was just like, "Well, I don't want there to be another kid here." And he's like some farm kid. He has no concept of prejudice, racial. It's the thing. He's just like, "I don't want there. To, I don't want to share my family with someone else." And he basically kind of concocts a story where the parents were just like, he basically lies on the kid and they were like, okay, we can't have this kid here. He's trouble. And, but it was a lie and they, and the kid gets taken away and he goes into foster care and then he grows up to basically just be some dude living in like fucking section eight housing. So he kind of ruined that kid's life. He could have grew up to be some affluent guy, but, but it's, it's the idea that if that guy was just another white French kid, it wouldn't have had the impact. There's the fact that his parents were immigrants. Right. He's a, he's the child of immigrants. And then this kid kind of fucked him over as a kid. And, but that, that's sort of, that's the whole point of the movie sort of, but you don't know it's the guy, right? You don't know it's the Algerian kid growing up. It, it could be, it seems like it would be right. But the movie's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. So Cause that's Michael Haneke fucking with you where it's just like, it doesn't really matter who sent him. Right, who right, sent right. the videotapes? It could have been anybody. It's, but for the purpose of our revenge podcast here, yeah, it's so that would be revenge of. 
uh, the Algerian boy is getting revenge for a guy who lied and f- basically threw him into foster home and fucked up his life. Yeah. It's similar to the new Batman where the Riddler was pissed off. <laughs> have, have you seen the new Batman? I did see the new the, Batman. Well, the Riddler's pissed because that whatever the fuck the Thomas Wayne Foundation or that the the renewal money was supposed to go to fixing the uh, the the orphanage. You know, Martha Wayne, uh, you know, was like real big on the orphanage and they were going to use that renewal money. But then all the fucking people behind the scenes were like, yeah, fuck that orphanage. Put them tend to a room with no heat yeah. and no food. And then we're going to spend the room. We're going to filter the renewal money to other people. And then the Riddler was like, my whole fucking life, I was an orphan growing up in these slums. And now I'm fucking pissed. And he took it, took his shit back on Gotham. When when did when did the when did the Waynes become these fucking horrible criminals? Like when 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 did that become a thing? I thought they were just some poor fucking people who got shot in an no, alley. Well, they were rich, but the, you oh. know, they were the backbone of Gotham. But that's funny. <laughs> My number five is a fucking classic, an absolute banger of a slasher film okay. called Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. The original OG Friday the 13th to me is a straight up revenge movie Boiling it down to one cent You already know this but just spelling it out It's uh, I am a mother and I'm going to get revenge On these fucking promiscuous sex having camp counselors Who were off fucking and They were making love They were, they were making love <laughs> And uh, my boy drowned and it's fucking great. And now maybe this is a pro. Maybe I hold the first Friday the Thirteenth in such a high regard because I saw it. By the time I saw the original Friday the Thirteenth, which came out in 1980, before I was born, there had probably been like five or six Friday the Thirteenths out. Mm-hmm. So you know, for me watching it for the first time, I was like, "Well, there's a Jason here, right? There's there's a fucking guy with a hockey mask because I've seen Jason." On HBO. Like, the first Friday the 13th I ever saw, I know for a fact, was part four. Where, you know, Corey Feldman shaves his head or whatever. Yeah. So I'm expecting that the whole time. I'm like, all right, cool. This is a slasher movie. <laughs> we roll into Crystal Lake, our Camp Crystal Lake. It's going to be some some dope smoking, some some titties. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason's killing people, but we can't see him, right? And then the fucking turn of it was like, Oh no, it's Mrs. Voorhees. There is no fucking Jason. This is a crazy mom fucking killing these kids. And it's awesome. The dude with the the fucking guy, he's got a, his raincoat and he's like, Oh hi, it's you. Yeah. And then <laughs> God, he gets killed and you're like, wait a minute, how the fuck would he know the hockey mask guy? Like yeah. hockey mask guy, you'd be like, Holy shit, I'm running. But he was like, Oh, it's you. And then the wheel starts spinning, and then when it's I don't know. I remember the first time I watched it and it revealed that it was the mom. And I was like, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. And uh, directed by Sean Cunningham, who doesn't have a lot of great credits to his name. If you like, just look at his IMDb, the scope of it. But he directed uh, a 1984 epic fucking film called Spring Break, Mm -hmm. which, man, I fucking love the 80s. It's it's spring break or it's summer break or it's, or it's fall break. It's any fucking break. It's <laughs> fill in the blade. This is like a Mad Libs for a break. And here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna go someplace and party, and we have a nerd buddy where he's gonna get laid on this trip. Mm. I mean that right there. That's the, that elevator pitch of like, so it's a bunch of dudes. Yeah. They have a nerdy buddy. 
They're all going to go off and party, and the the, the object is for we'll the, shoot it in the woods, very the, cheap. The new for the for, <laughs> now. There's where you lost me. But <laughs> hey, we're going to we're going to Fort Lauderdale, and our buddy needs to get laid. And then fucking, dude, have you seen Spring Break? I don't think so. Oh my! I'm gonna let, I'm gonna bring that DVD next time I come to to the shop. I'm okay. bringing that DVD, and I'm gonna let you borrow it. But um, it's just a classic '80s fucking. But of course, you know, as with any awesome '80s movie, when they get there, they then make friends and they find like something local that's going on that they have to stand for. You know what I mean? Like, and then it becomes this fucking this. They befriend this old lady who owns a hotel that's like their party hotel, and mm-hmm. these guys are trying to take it away from her because they want to blaze the strip and make condos or something. And they're like, "No, we're gonna fucking fight back and we're gonna save this hotel." And it's like. Hey, old lady, I know you just rented me this hotel room two hours ago, but you're like a mom to me now, and I'm going to fucking fight for the rest of this movie. It's like we're Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. It's like, well, no on 15, man, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have to save the Hotel Coral Essex. Yeah, that's right. But, uh... They but, call me snotty. But fucking, um... Oh, where was I? I lost my train of thought. Oh, so... Spring Break has these guys in it, and when you watch it, one of them is named David Nell, and he was in, uh, and you're like, who the fuck is that? And this is going to be a callback here okay. to something you just mentioned. But he was in, he was one of the chefs in Pig with with Nick Cage, my boy. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was in Total Recall. He's the fucking nerd dude who's like, uh, when John Kimball or no, uh, no, John Kimball was from Kindergarten Cop. Who's yeah. the guy in Total Recall? His name was. Uh, Oh, what's Arnold's name in Total Recall? Well, he had two names. He had Quaid. Quaid and the other one. But anyway, <laughs> when he starts freaking out in the chair and they're like, and he's like, oh, I got to get out of here. I'm I'm a fucking spy. And they're like, that's just a program. And the little nerd dude is like, I haven't loaded it yet. That's David Nell, who's in Spring Break. <laughs> David Nell Excellent. also fucking was in, uh, fuck, he was in Splash. He was in fucking... Uh, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. Um, but it, anyway, it has this other dude in it named Perry Lang. Perry Lang's the nerd that need that they're trying to get laid. Uh-huh. And he was in uh, he was in fucking Big Wednesday, uh, which is gonna call a comeback later on oh, my shit. list. Um, okay, 1941, Steven Spielberg. Um, he was in Eight Men Out, Jacob's Ladder, Jennifer Eight, which is a great movie. Um, you were, Jacob's Ladder, like. Um, were, were you not also like completely shocked when uh, Lewis Black is in Jacob's Ladder? Wait a minute, the comedian Lewis Black. We're talking about the uh, the 1990s Jacob's Ladder with with Danny Aiello and yeah, and Tim Robbins, and Tim Robbins, and and, and Bob's the, girlfriend from La Bamba. I I love Bob's girlfriend from the Bob. She's great. She's so I fucking Bob. What about me? Yeah, I got the woodpecker and the duck. Look at Bendejo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what she she? It's after they do the fucking ice bath. He's burning up. He's burning. They up. do the bur- ice bath, and then a doctor comes to the house. It's Lewis Black. Fuck! I did not know that. And it wasn't until Lewis Black got famous where I was like, I feel like I I don't know. I feel like this guy's always been around. He's only because he was like on the Daily Show. He had the black and black segment, and then he did stand-up comedy. But I was like, oh, I don't know. He seemed familiar to me. 
And then, like, one day I'm watching fucking Jacob's Ladder. I'm like, he's the fucking doctor. That's amazing. And it blew my fucking mind. I know Danny Aiello's the chiropractor. He's the chiropractor. He's the chiropractor. But You look uh, like an angel. You look, you're right. But it's because, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, you're dead. <laughs> but either way, Sean Cunningham didn't do a bunch of shit that, like, is going to move the needle. But Friday the 13th Part 1, I do love. I think yeah. it's a great revenge story. It, you know, of course, Halloween gets all the credit for, like, starting the slasher. And some people shit on Friday the 13th because two of the kills, like, are direct ripoffs from Bay of Blood. The Yeah, it's... The, the Mario Bava. But, it, but, like, teens getting killed in the woods, like, Friday the 13th, like, there's your blueprint. There, and, you know, it's like someone's got to be the innovator. No, for sure. And, like... And, you know, well, now that we're got on it, yes, he, like, for example, there is a scene in Bay of Blood where two people are fucking on a bed and a spear goes through them both, right? Mm-hmm. That's a copy. That's a direct homage or a copy. But Bay of Blood was, like, really, it wasn't, like, convoluted or whatever, but, like, it was like a, hey, I want to inherit this fucking mansion, so let's kill the lady and kill you. But then that guy got killed, and then I got killed, and you got killed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just started to spiral. It's more of, like, a giallo where it's just, like, there's there's people working against each other and backstabbing. Correct. And that's that's a perfect way to put it. Whereas Friday the Thirteenth is a true slasher, where there's yeah. like a boogeyman in the woods. Well, boogie woman in this case, mm-hmm. but um, nice, very nice, so well the, done. That's my number five. Is uh, Friday the Thirteenth, nineteen eighty, great yes. movie. All right. What's so your number four? My number four, I'm a giant fan of, and it's it's probably like if I did a top ten favorite movies of all time, this movie is somehow in it. Um, 1988 film called Deadbeat at Dawn. Okay, I actually have a have a European copy of it right up there. Deadbeat at Dawn, directed by this guy named Jim Van Beber. He's this like kind of ragtag low-budget film director, and he didn't do a ton of shit, but he's one of those guys that was like, I'm making a fucking movie, and I don't care what I have to do to get it done. So, Deadbeat at Dawn, Jim Van Beber directed and stars in it, okay? He plays this guy named Goose, and he's like the head of like this fucking gang in, uh, in Ohio, and there's a rival gang, and he basically is like... He's got a girlfriend, and in the beginning of the movie, there's, like, a gang fight, and he, like, fucks the other dude up, but he gets all fucking stabbed up and shit, and his lady's at his house fucking, like, stitching up his fucking wounds with dental floss and shit. She's like, she's like, how long do you plan on doing this? Like, one day you're just not going to fucking come home, and then what's going to happen to me? And he's like, he's like, what? he's like, I have a fucking gang, you know, we're in a fucking war right now. She's like, you can just leave the gang. He's like, I can't just leave the fucking gang. And she's like... Well, you're at some point, like, you know, if you don't choose me, then I'm fucking gone, you know, because I don't want to sit around and wait for you to get killed. And then he ends up like, okay, I'll leave the fucking gang. And so I, t- I expected him to be like, but baby, I can't, I can't leave the hell Satan's. <laughs> I can't, I can't leave the loose ciphers. Right. The, right the Satan's helpers. <laughs> This is the club of the Satan's helpers. It's off limits. <laughs> Anybody ever tell you? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Don't even get me started on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Go that, ahead. That's Sorry. the top five. Um, so he's like, look, I'm going to fucking leave the game. He tells the game, like, I'm fucking, I'm out. The gang's 
you know, you guys, you keep the gang. I'm me and my lady were fucking leaving. They're like, all right. So the, uh, the, the other gang, um, by, by the way, his, his gang's called the Ravens and the other gang's called the spiders. <laughs> so the spiders Those are, are great, great gang names, great though. gang names, especially eighties white dudes with like chains, fucking the whole fucking deal. Right. So they hear like, they're like, motherfucker, you can't just leave. Like, we're we're at fucking war. You you think you can just become a citizen all of a sudden? So he, the spiders go to fucking uh, Goose's place, and they fucking kill his girlfriend. Oh, shit. And fucking, um, so, so Goose is fucking out of the game. And meanwhile, they kill his fucking girlfriend, and then, the, like, this... Once Goose leaves the gang, the fucking Ravens and the Spiders like call this truce where they're like, let's become the, a giant super gang. And then we, instead of fighting each other, we can just take over this whole fucking city. And this is in, I think it's mm, Columbus, Ohio. Okay. I think. So they're, so they basically this truce and they're like, we're going to become a giant fucking super gang. And Goose basically is like, I'm going to kill everybody. Cause there is a thing where they're basically like, now we got to go kill goose. So now his own gang and this other gang are fucking out to get him. So it's basically, it's not even like he tries to fuck it. He's like, I'm going to go kill everyone. Like John wick. It's a thing where they're like, Oh no, like we got to kill goose too. So it's like this whole, it's like this whole day and night where it's just like, he's running through a subway and it's and he fucking kills one fucking guy fucking hits another dude with a bat fucking spin kicks the other fucking dude. And just mows through this, like he runs across the entire city, and he's just fucking, just fucking up all these fucking dudes. I so, love movies that. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I, I love movies that take place over in one night or one day, or like The Warriors is a great example. Like we go to this meeting, shit happens. The whole movie is us just trying to get home in this one night, right? Like, yeah, it's not quite a road movie, but it's kind of like a you know what I mean. Like yeah. road movies go over several days, but the road or the hero's journey of this is just this one fucking night. Yeah. And the whole thing is like, it wasn't so much like he definitely wanted to get revenge for them killing his girlfriend, but it's like, they also want to kill him now. So he's got a fucking, okay. Okay. By the way. So there was, there was like this bank heist that takes place and he finds out where they're keeping their fucking money. And he steals all the fucking money from that fucking heist. Now they're like, this motherfucker is totally dead now. Totally dead. But Goose takes the money because he's like, I'm going to give all the money to his dead girlfriend's like sister. He had, she had a younger sister, and now she has no one to take care of her. And she's like a teenager. So he's like, I'm going to give her all the money, and at least she'll have a chance at a life. And she doesn't have to fucking start dating some scumbag in a fucking gang. She can fucking get the fuck out of this town sort of thing. So it's this total selfless thing. And he just goes, he fights all day and night and he manages to get the fucking money to the sister. And, and he's just completely fucked up. He's been like dragged by a fucking car against a brick wall. He's been fucking stabbed. He's gotten the shit kicked out of him and he manages to make it to dawn. And he just fucking completely destroys this entire gang single handedly gets the money to the sister and then just, fucking stumbles off into the sunset kind of like mel gibson and fucking payback except no girl he's just fucking mangled has a missing finger and uh but he avenges his murdered wife he he avenges his fucking his, his lady getting fucking killed he avenges his friends 
like they turned on him and he's just like you don't you don't just turn on me right he's like fuck that so he deadbeat at dawn i i cannot say it's one of those movies i'm just like obsessed with it sounds amazing it's i love it so much uh arrow video did an unbelievable blu-ray release of it a few years ago it looks beautiful do you own it on blu-ray i own it on blu-ray i own it on dvd and now i own it on vhs I would like to borrow your blue. <laughs> yeah. And then it's got really good special views. But Jim Van Beber is a total fucking psycho. Like he's, he did a movie called the Manson family, which took him like 10 years to fucking make. Cause okay. just getting what year did that come out. He started making it in like the mid eighties and it didn't get done till the nineties. Okay. So it's like he had to do chunks of footage along the way. But um, in terms of just a story of the Manson family, it's pretty good. Cause he was, he wanted, I mean, it comes off like a fucking exploitation film, but it's like there's enough Manson shit that's been out now through the passage of time. When you go back and watch the Manson family, you're like, oh, this is pretty spot on. Like, he, all the right characters. Like, it's the whole thing of like anything with Charles Manson, no one points out that, like, kept, like, they never show Charles Manson killing anybody. Right. It's always like the family was sent. He sent them to kill. It's like, no, they have a fucking scene where he like totally killed this drug dealer who owned him fucking money. Like Tex Watson had some beef with some fucking drug dealer. It's actually in one of his, one of his interviews. It was rather like Geraldo Rivera, or Barbara Walters or something where he's basically like, like Tex had some fucking beef with some fucking guy and I had to go fucking deal with it. And he's like, he's like, you know, that was, that was sort of like his defense. He's like, I didn't, send those people in to kill all those people in the fucking house and kill that pregnant woman. He's like, he's like, you know, they have a history of starting their own shit that I got to go clean up the mess for. He's like, he's like, go talk Tex Watson and fucking all those other girls, you know, but the Manson family kind of shows Charles Manson being a fucking cult leader, being a fucking murderer, being a criminal. And Jim Van Beber's in it. He plays, um, does he play Tex Watson or Bobby Bosley? I don't remember, but eventually that got uh, released. Uh, that got a really good release, and he's done a he's done a bunch of stuff. He did this twenty minute um, short film called um, "My Sweet Satan," which is about Ricky Casso, known as the Acid King, like the band the Acid King, that like stoner rock band. It's based on Ricky Casso, and he's this kid during like the Satanic Panic fucking era. He was like this acid dealer. And some fucking kid in his hometown owed him fucking money. And him and this other dude took the, like, tricked the kid into, like, hey, come party with us out in the woods, man. And when they got him out there, they're like, you owe us fucking money. And then they fucking murdered the kid. And um, they were like, it was a sacrifice to fucking Satan. Those two guys both went to prison. And then fucking Ricky Casso hung himself in his jail cell. And and there was several, I did an episode on it. And there was a few Ricky Casso movies that are like, you know, normal running time films, but I'm like, and some of them are pretty good, but I'm like, Jim Van Beber told this entire story in 20 minutes and did a really good job at it. But it was kind of through the lens of like, it was more of a nineties thing. It it didn't look like an eighties thing. It was like, Oh, what are kids nowadays? What are the, what are people going to do? Nine inch nails? (laughs) I don't know. It feels like it was adapted for more of a nineties thing, but I don't know. He does all these kind of weird low budget movies, but you know, he gives a shit about what he's doing, but he's kind of a nut. And there's a documentary about him called uh, Diary of a Deadbeat. And, you know, he's a troubled dude, kind of has a drinking problem. He's really aggressive, hates authority. But first time I saw Deadbeat at dawn, I was like, 
where's this movie been my whole life? There's just something about it that I just keep going back to. So it's that's my awesome. that's my number four, Dead Beat at Dawn. Last thing, you know, I, the spiders and the ravens are such killer <laughs> gang names. A buddy of mine was in a band years back, and they were called the Chargers Street Gang, which I thought was a fucking incredible band name. Chargers Street Gang? That's the name of the band, the Chargers Street Gang. Oh, and they were also from Ohio. It's a small, small world because that took place. But anyway, that's a good name for a band, I think. I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah. if they were from San Diego, it would seem kind of corny. That would be fucking dumb. Yeah, the fact that it's from Ohio makes it cool. Right. My number four, a 2006 film called Seraphim Falls. I, I am not familiar with this movie. Fuck. Oh, my God. So. See, people people listening to this, this is why Frank's on the show. Okay? this he's, he's, he's this wellspring of knowledge, and I love it. He fills in all of my blind spots. It's beautiful. Thank okay? you. Well, you fill in mine because I have not seen Dead by Dawn yet. yet. What would you say if I said I hadn't seen Evil Dead 2 yet? You haven't seen <laughs> Evil Dead 2? No, that's a line from High Fidelity. Oh, oh my God! But yeah, the evil, the evil Dead Two yet because remember his girlfriend was like, "I haven't slept with Ian yet." Ah, uh, John Cusack's going crazy. Like, what does the yet mean? But anyway, yes, Seraphim Falls. All right, Liam Neeson, Pierce Brosnan, Angelica Houston. Um. Fuck Tom Noonan. Love me some Tom Newton. Big Tom Noonan is in it. Wes Studi is in it. Love me some Wes Studi. As you should. Um, Jimmy Simpson is in it. Do you know who Jimmy Simpson is? He plays one of the Doyle McBoyles or whatever on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's the blonde guy in uh, Westworld, the young blonde kid in Westworld, TV show Westworld. He was, mm-hmm. in, he was in Zodiac. Who is he in Zodiac? In Zodiac, okay, he's um, one of the teen... Victims was Mike Montague or something. He's, he's the first kid to get shot, the and first, then and he lives. Fucking Donovan, the hurdy gurdy man comes through. Hurdy gurdy. He's like, well, you guys, you gave us a real scare. Hurdy gurdy hurdy. So, yes, he's the drugged out future version. That's Jimmy Simpson. Ah, yes, he's the old, old, old version of that. Yeah. So, okay, yes, yes. Seraphim falls. I'll get to the plot in a second, but it's directed by this guy, and I'd, I'd write it down, David Von Anken, Anken, A-N-C-K-E-N. I may be mispronouncing that. His entire filmography is nothing but TV show episodes of TV shows, mm-hmm. like Oz, HBO's Oz, Without a Trace, The Shield, fucking Michael Chiklis, Daybreak, Tay Diggs was in Daybreak, Heroes, CSI, Person of Interest, Californication with my boy David Duchovny, mm-hmm. fucking Hell on Wheels, which is a great turn of the or, uh, Civil War, expanding westward via the fucking railroads. Uh, all TV shows, he has one film, one feature-length film, and it's, it's called Seraphim Falls. The story is this. Liam Neeson, it's post-Civil War. Liam Neeson was a Confederate general, fucking lieutenant, somebody, something or an other. Irish Confederate general, cool. <laughs> right, right. So he was he was fucking uh, a Johnny Reb, nice. And Pierce Brosnan was a Union 
general, lieutenant, somebody in the ranks. Um, the war is over before the movie starts, and Pierce Brosnan. Well, fuck. Hold on. Let me let me let me take a step back. Here's the movie starts out in the fucking high mountains, fucking freezing cold snow, and Pierce Brosnan is running, and he's getting shot at, and he's shooting back. And he's basically got hound dogs on his trail. And the hound dogs who are chasing him are Liam Neeson and this gang of hired guns. And the movie starts out in the mountains. And the chase, the whole movie is just the fucking chase. Liam Neeson and these guys trying to get Pierce Brosnan. And they run. And the movie starts in the mountains and comes to sea level, you know. And then it goes fucking down, down into the... And eventually it ends in like... The desert. So they start out freezing their dicks cold, and then by the end, they're fucking crawling through the desert, dying of thirst. But two dudes, one who refuses to fucking stop running and one who refuses to stop chasing. And what we find out in the movie is that Liam Neeson was a Confederate guy. Pierce Brosnan was a Union dude. And Pierce Brosnan was ordered to go and round up ex-confederate generals to bring them to trial or not really even trial but just hey you need to go and retrieve these guys he goes to Liam Neeson's farmhouse and Liam Neeson wasn't there (coughs) Liam Neeson was legit not at home so Pierce Brosnan wanted to show Liam Neeson's wife hey I mean business you need to tell me where he's at or where he's coming from I'm going to set your barn on fire Barn fire gets out of fucking control and goes to Liam Neeson's house. And turned out Liam Neeson, not only was his wife, uh, like his, the wife gets out, but there was a fucking baby in at home still sleeping. The wife goes in. Liam Neeson, because of this fucking, she's, he's not here, I promise you, the house is empty. You can look. He's like, oh, I'm going to set your barn on fire. Burns the house. He loses his wife. He loses his fucking kid. And Liam Neeson, the whole movie, is just trying to get revenge the thing that to me that makes it incredible is well one it's it's fucking badass and but it's full of like it's like one big allegory and it basically tells this like well just the title seraphim is an, an angel angelic seraphim falls and the town is called seraphim falls and it starts in the mountains which could be viewed as heaven and they end up, and they run across. When they get to the desert, there's nothing. And Angelica Houston is basically this evil, like, is she Satan? And she's in, like, a, one of those carnival, like, old stagecoaches. And she has fucking, if you ever saw the HBO show Carnival, but it's like that. Like, yeah. it's definitely hinting that she is, like, representing the devil. And the desert that it ends in is, like, they both drag themselves to hell. Mm-hmm. They both started off as two men who were free from the war up in the the snowy mountains, which is like heaven. And But this chase, this fucking, this revenge has just brought both of you down to hell. Right? Sarah Angel Falls brought them both down. And, uh, yeah, it's fucking incredible. Wow. It's great. That's, I love it. That sounds great. It's fucking awesome. And I love Liam Neeson. I love Pierce Brosnan. And, yeah, and then I saw, I saw it and when it came out. And uh, I was like, oh, man, this fucking dude is great. I love this. is a good movie. Never directed another movie again. He was like, nah, TV's for me. Yeah. So definitely got to check wow. it out. Highly recommend it. That's it. 
maybe yeah uh, yeah yeah isn't that interesting it's 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 interesting seeing directors do tv and then like people who do tv end up doing fucking movies it's 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 weird what people kind of gravitate towards cuz usually it's like film directors will dabble in television sure but it's like it it's I don't know. There's there's really something. There's there's a level of efficiency of being a TV director, especially if you do like fuckloads of episodes. It's not just one of those shows where it's like everyone gets a chance at directing. It's just someone's just like I've directed two hundred episodes of this show. I love that shit. To be to be Kubrick or fucking Francis Ford Coppola or like uh, or Martin Scorsese, right? Like you have to have like this incredible vision. And you have to weave that and make that come to life out of nothing. And that make you may demand more money or more days on your shoot or whatever the fuck you got to demand. But you're like, I'm going to be relentless. I know what I want the film to fucking look like. And I'm not giving up until I achieve that or as close to possible. And your job is basically just fighting with the producers the whole time, right? To make your vision possible. That is not what would make a good television show director. Right. A good TV director is like, can you keep the trains running on time? Like, can you just direct what's on the page and sacrifice your vision or this grand scheme or like, but wait a minute, hold on. But for this one scene, I want my mom in it and we got to have this (laughs) shit like this chair isn't period. So we're going to have a dude build a fucking chair. That's, you know what I mean? Or whatever, like, which I get, I, I respect that artistic drive, but a t- TV show director is like, I can produce multiple episodes over and over and over where I come in on time and on budget. Yeah. And that's a skill in itself. Like I think Kubrick and any director that we've been talking about tonight has a fucking skill too, because they have like an originality and they have a vision that is definitely unique and a skill, but also it's a skill to be like hurting fucking cats sure, and keeping all of these plates spinning. That is a fucking production and being like, Oh yeah, I can do fucking 400 breaking bad episodes (laughs) and deliver them all on time in the can uh, under budget or on budget but whatever I think of, like, a dude who, if you look back, like, my whole life growing up watching movies without IMDb, I'm like, fuck, I wish I had it. Because I can click a movie and be like, oh, I've seen that guy. Let me click what he, what was he in. And now it's like it's like a spider web or a fucking family tree of different movies you can watch. Yeah. I don't know how I watched movies before. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, how did you ever take a shit before an iPhone was invented? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine shitting without a phone in your hand right now. It's like, <laughs> no, negative. Yeah, that's weird. If I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone, I'm yelling at my wife, like, can you bring me my phone? You know what I mean? Like, it's terrible. So when now when I go back and watch old movies or whatever and I look at IMDb's, it usually is like, okay, this guy got his shot in 1988 with Deadbeat by Dawn, and it made no money. So he's like, well, I'm kind of in director's jail, and I'm never going to get any money again. I'm going to go to TV and just use my skills to just – know what a good shot is, know where the sound needs to be, know what, where the light is. And I'm just going to fucking crank it out. Right. And it's I mean, not to say that every TV director is somebody who failed at a feature film. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times that's what I see. Like, Oh man, you put out a movie. It probably didn't make its money back or it's 20 million and only gross five. So they said, yeah, kid, you're sorry, but you didn't make us your money. You know, like, and when with the streaming now, it's like the the complete inverse, which is which is fascinating. 
because then you get things like you get things like Mine Hunter. Right, know? right. Oh, yeah. No, it's incredible. It, you get you get more of it. You get all these like directors who start doing like quote unquote TV, but really TV now is just a long ass fucking movie. TV now is long, movies. but then again, like I like I'm a I like I'm a Miami Vice fan. So it's like I'll go back and watch the Abel Ferrara episodes that he did, which are, I mean, and Abel Ferrara was just like they're like, we need to premiere the show, like in an hour, and he's like, I'm still working on it, and then he just cobbles it together, and they're like, here it go, and then fucking boom, it's like just flying by the fucking seat of their pants. It's like let's get the driller killer guy to do an episode of fucking Miami Vice, the dude who's doing porn on. 47th street or whatever in new york <laughs> literally yeah right didn't he always work with saint nick saint john or whatever what's that guy's name well, well, abel, abel ferrara and, and nicholas saint john always worked together didn't they who's nicholas saint john why do i know that name it, didn't he write like all the abel ferrara movies i don't know did Fuck, he look one of them up <laughs> you, you got the internet seems like so, uh, Let's see. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Pull up. Let's let's pick a an Abel Ferrara movie. Let's see. It's starting. To, it's starting to come back to me. Let me just pick this one. Who wrote it? Yeah, Nicholas St. John. Yeah. Yeah. Those two dudes started out in New York making porn. Legit. Yeah. That. Okay. Now. Okay. Now it's coming back to me. Yeah. Because yeah, I saw this. I saw this interview with. Uh, Actually, no, yeah, it was an interview with Abel Farr and Zoe Lund when she was still alive, and Nicholas St. John was, it was a thing where she had a lot of writing credit for Bad Lieutenant, and it was a thing where it was like, it was like Abel Farr and Nicholas St. John were just like, okay, we're going to let Zoe, she, she has a knack for writing, let's let her kind of dip into this and kind of be the sort of like third this positive third wheel right. to, to make this fucking movie and shit. We're, we're calling back to Zoe. Um, you did. So she's, she's passed away. You said she died of an overdose. Is yeah. that Cause wasn't she like an advocate for like, uh, everyday heroin use. If you do it safely, like, wasn't like, Oh fuck. I could be, mm. I could be mixing things up, but I'm pretty sure that she is. Okay. Most people are like, Hey, I used to be a junkie. I'm trying to, I'm going to be a counselor to get people off drugs. I'm pretty sure that she ran like a coalition or spearheaded or was involved with this coalition that was essentially like, if you're going to chip every day, then here's how to do it safely. And like, she was like an advocate for like, Heroin can be a good thing. I'm not kidding when I say that. By wow. The way. Well, that didn't that didn't work out. That, <laughs> it it never will. But I'm pretty sure that was her. But maybe not. But anyway, Man, that's that's crazy. <laughs> like I've I've never heard of that. That that is. I'm pretty sure that that's her backstory. Like if if later after the show we Wikipedia her. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that's part of her tale. Jesus Christ. But back so. I think in the 90s or the 80s and 90s, if you were a film director who went from film to TV, you were looked at and looked at yourself as like, that's a step down. That's a failure, like pre-Soprano. Sure. Whereas, but then if you were Michael Mann, where you went from TV to film, it's like, well, yeah, you put in your time doing the fucking TV so you can then 
make Manhunter the the movie, not the show, or Mindhunter is what you're talking about. But yeah, you know what I mean. Like that was a step up. But now you're totally right. In this day and age, now you have fucking. I'm surprised. You know, Steven Spielberg isn't like, I want to do my own Netflix show. Indiana Jones, the the Young Years. Whatever. (laughs) Dude, I would watch Indiana Jones, the Young Years. Well, They used to do it on ABC. There was a TV show, right, called Young Indiana Jones. There was, yeah. When's the the new Indiana Jones coming out? Is that already out? It's not, but I mean, spoiler alert, I will go see it. I saw the trailer and I was like, wow, they, they made him look really not that old. I'll go see it. Yeah, I love fucking Raiders and and Temple of Doom. This new one, and actually, the trailer, I was like, oh, I, I would actually see that. I would go see it. the The last couple, I'm just like, oh, I'm not seeing that. Well, there was there was only four, right? There was uh, the the Crystal Skull was the only one that was the Shia There's, LaBeouf well, one. What was the one? What was the one after Crystal Skull? Whoa, well, there's one after Crystal Skull. Yeah. Fuck, I man, I can't believe oh. it. It's it's the one where um there's like a fucking bomb goes off and he's he hides inside of a refrigerator and the refrigerator flies and then it hits the ground and he rolls out of it. That's like, huh? I think what the fuck was that called? I'm pretty sure that's the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, isn't it? Is it? Because the bomb the bomb blows up at that fucking Area 51 test site, right? Um, yeah. Is that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I think so. Yeah, I I don't know. I pretty much checked out after the Last Crusade. Yeah, the la- I love the Last Crusade. The Last Crusade, those those first three. I I like Temple of Doom. I don't know. Yeah, Temple wh- of Doom's incredible. Yeah, there's there's like this weird thing I noticed just in the past couple of years where people are like they like fuck the Temple of Doom. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Are what you dumb? Are you talking about? It's the first PG thirteen movie. You fucking assholes. Molaram. Fucking Molaram. Fucking Kalima. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the stones, Doctor Jones. Right. They will be found. You won't. <laughs> Beautiful. Rips out a guy's heart and he, catches on fire. Totally. What else do you want? I love Temple of Doom. It's it's fucking great. Temple of Doom. The yeah. fucking there's people, a ride. People, people are talking about Temple of Doom right now the way people used to talk about like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. People would be like, "Fuck Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. I'm like, nah, "You're it's a you're, great film." I'm like, "You're stupid." I love Nightmare. I'm like, "Go back and watch the fucking pool scene where he fucking like." kills everyone i'm like what are you talking about it's like people who talk shit on uh, friday the 13th part five i'm like it's friday amazing the 13th part five is awesome it has so much cocaine so many titties it's awesome so much death it's great it's great it's great and jason's not in it jason's not even in it He's i'm like not even in it. people don't know what the fuck they're talking about i love part five yeah Vic, would you like a chocolate bar <laughs> just forget it yeah <laughs> and then you fucking hacks him up dude it's, it's fucking amazing it's a great movie Fucking Reggie the Reckless. Right. I love it. <laughs> hey, baby. God, those damn enchiladas. Ooh, ooh, those damn enchiladas. <laughs> now, that's my guy from, he's in Return, uh, Return of the Living Dead. He is. He's Because I try not to think about dying. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's in Return of the Living Dead. I fucking love that guy. Yeah, he's amazing. So that was your number, oh, that was my number four. That was your number four. So now we're on, the t- now we're on number three. We're at, the, we're at the top three. This is exciting. This is really where we're getting in. It's fucking nut-cutting time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my number three um, it comes from the, the arguably the greatest year for film ever, 1982, Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius. Oh, boy. Oh my god. We are flying so close <laughs> to the sun right now. 
the yes, the adaptation, Robert E. Howard, and I. Oh, dude. Okay, Conan. Fucking. Uh, there's a snake cult. Uh, led by uh, Darth Vader, James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom. Yes, he comes in with Beyonce hair, and he fucking he His ta- hair is so good. It's beautiful. And he's got and he's and he's got the 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 black contacts, big black eyes, and um, he comes into Conan's village. He takes his father's sword because his father taught him like the, the only like people people. He basically told, tells his son like, look, people are. Scum, you can't trust them. But what you can trust is steel. The riddle of steel. The riddle of steel. You know it, don't you, boy? <laughs> Come to me, my child. Uh, so there's the doom comes in. He takes his dad's sword, decapitates his fucking mom. The soundtrack, unbelievable. When he cuts, when he's like, okay, he's gonna walk away from the fucking mom. Turns, cuts the head off. The head falls. Oh, beautiful. So, and then they put Conan into fucking slavery, and he's got to push the fucking wheel of pain until he becomes Arnold Schwarzenegger. And all the other kids that were made to do it, they all just die. Died. And he's the last guy pushing the wheel of pain. Did you know the wheel of pain is an actual event at the World's Strongest Man competition? I did not. That is a real thing. The wheel of fucking pain. Shit. So, he, they, they take, they, since he was able to survive the wheel of fucking pain and he became Arnold Schwarzenegger, they were like, okay. We're now gonna um, use you as a gladiator. So they they fucking uh, they send him. They throw him in all these pits, and he has to beat the fuck out of people and kill him. And they found that he has kind of a natural skill for combat. So then they send him to this fucking uh, samurai sword academy where he learns to use the steel. Okay, he's learning to use the steel, and now he becomes this great warrior. But and then uh, something from his past comes: uh, two snakes facing each other. Okay, he knows that there's the snake cult is out there, and uh, uh, he teams up with Warrior Lady, and uh, uh, I don't. Oh, well, his name's not Senpai. Senpai's uh, uh, Sean Connery's name and fucking uh, Rising, Rising Sun. Sun. <laughs> I, I fucking love Rising Sun. It's not. It's not seppuku. That's that's, it's, that's uh, when you kill yourself oh, yeah. when you're Japanese. But is let's just call him seppuku. Him and his friend seppuku and uh, warrior lady. They they're gonna go break into uh, the Thursla Doom's fucking orgy uh, snake temple. Thursla, Thursla, what, whatever. Thursla, <laughs> Ursula, Ursula, Ursula Doom. <laughs> she he uh, James Earl Jones. He's it, he's half octopus, half Ariel. That's right. <laughs> He's he's a snake octopus, and um, yeah, and then he goes and he he exacts his revenge. He fucking gets his fucking sword. He decapitates uh, uh, James Earl Jones in front of his fucking cult at the top of the pyramid. Throws his head down the stairs. Bada boom, bada bing. Fucking, uh, he learned the comforts of women. He did. He did. He, he certainly did. And um, he yeah. learned to crush his enemies and <laughs> see, see them fucking driven before him. That's right. Hear the lamentation of their women. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's a. It's he learns a, the riddle of steel throughout that. He does. He's, you know, it's just flesh is weak. It, uh, well, I'm sorry. Um, steel is weak, but flesh is strong. That's right. That's right. It's because what is steel compared to the hand that wields it? That's right. You know, and it's, it, it's fucking amazing. And then. 
fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger had to fucking ruin everything by at the epilogue. You see him all old and shit, and he's King Conan, and King Conan ruled for a million years and all this shit, and then fucking he had to run for governor of California. <laughs> and, and ruined fucking... Uh, th- that's when he was supposed to do a King Conan movie. But no, he thought, he's like, I'm going to run against Cruz Bustamante and become governor. I'm just like, come on, bro. That's the post credit scene, right, where he runs for governor. Yeah. <laughs> Conan became king of California. Yeah, I, I stayed for after the credits. <laughs> post credit scene where he runs for governor of California. In the far away of the west, he headed west. Yeah, so Conan the Barbarian, it's my number three. Uh so, Emilius, uh, real quick, I mentioned earlier one of the nerds from Spring Break, the Sean Cunningham movie that I love, was in Big Wednesday. Emilius directed Big Wednesday. He also directed Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fucking killer soundtrack that you were talking about, that's Basil Polaris or Polaris or whatever. That fuck, the, the entire score to the Conan the Barbarian movie is incredible. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So, yeah, Conan is a great choice. Yeah, and, and there's actually a documentary I've been wanting to see, but I've, uh, uh, it's a, and I think it's just called, I think it's just called Melius. And it's just, cool. it's just like an hour and a half being like, John Melius is the craziest motherfucker I've ever met. Apparently he was a total psycho. Like, he was one of those dudes who just walked around with fucking, like, a bandolier on with fucking, like, guns on him. And he drove fucking uh, Mad Max dune buggy everywhere he went. And he just was like, a, he was like a real-life pirate or some shit. Fuck, Dad, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I want to eventually get around to seeing the John Millius documentary. But I saw the trailer and I was like, I'm like, this is rather, it, but I'm like, I, was it, what was the name of that company? Uh, uh, Veritas. Is it Veritas Pictures or something like that? I don't know. It's kind of one of those companies that makes kind of shady movies where it's just like, oh, this isn't very good, but it could be good. It's one of those companies. Okay. So I feel like maybe that documentary is just a talking head type of documentary where it's just like be. old actors you don't recognize being like, <laughs> John Millius, again, he punched my mother off of a cliff <laughs> on the set of uh, Conan. <laughs> I don't know. The I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's my number three. Hey, Frank, what, what's your? Na- <laughs> hey, Frank, what a segue! What is what is what is your number three greatest revenge film of all time? I'm glad you asked, Bob. Um, my number three is two thousand. I think it came out in two thousand. Uh, Christopher Nolan small picture by the name of Memento. Mm. Memento is fucking incredible in so many senses of the word. Uh, to boil it down to one sentence, it's a man who is avenging uh, the rape and murder of his wife. John G. raped and murdered my wife, which is tattooed across his clavicle or from shoulder to shoulder, basically. And, um, man, I saw this in college. In uh, I went to college in southern Illinois, and it was a tiny fucking old shitty theater that I think is still there. But... I couldn't believe they got it, and I'd never heard of Christopher Nolan at the time. Yeah. And I remember we went and saw it, and I was just fucking blown away. And I didn't understand it. Well, I I, understood, I got the gist of it. But I, I remember being like leaving and being like, I want to go see it again because the movie plays fucking backwards, which is an incredible artistic choice. It's like the main characters, everyone probably knows this. Everyone's seen this, but I'll just go through it real quick. 60-second spiel. You know, Guy Pierce, main character, he has short-term memory loss, 
someone killed, raped, and murdered his wife, and he's dead set on it. He has all of his old memories, but he can't make new ones. So he has this system where he's fucking has a Polaroid, and he's snapping pictures of people, and he would write on it real quick because, like, by the t- like a commercial will start, and by the time it ends, he fucking forgets like what the fuck the, the commercial was about. And so he's so his life works backwards. He does something and then has to write it down, and then he'll have to remember it later. So the movie presents and unfolds backwards, and it's fucking brilliantly weaved where it's like a color segment yes. and a black and white segment, and the color segments move from back to or from end to beginning. And the black and white segments go from beginning to end. And there's a part, like if you split the film up into like ten pieces, right? Five black and white, five color. There's a part where the trains meet. And that's the that's where the reveal happens. And we as the viewer learn what the fuck is really going on. And it's so it's like ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, and one, two, three, four, five. And when those two the five train meets, it's anyway. It's a movie that kind of, it's heady, and you got to watch it a few times to really get it. And I remember just it being a, th- a thing, and then I ran out and rented Following, which is Christopher Nolan's first movie, and yes. I was like, this dude is a fucking talent like no other. Like, we may be seeing, this is me talking to my 2000 college roommate here, right? Um, like, this could be the guy like this could be the Kubrick of our fucking generation. Right. This is, these two movies are fucking incredible. And following was made for like $9 or something. It was fucking made black and white, no money, no money, but it, it was brilliantly shot full of genius. Like let's just shoot it on the street. Full of genius. And you know what? I, I, my, our lives parallel in that same way. I was working at a restaurant in San Francisco and my sous chef was a film student. And he, we talked about movies all the time and he told me about the following and I, I saw the following first cause he was like this, he, this guy has a movie uh, out called Memento and you have to see that. So I watched the following and I watched Memento and the hyper rewatchability of Memento. Like I probably watched that movie a dozen times in like a month. Yeah. I was, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever fucking seen. So it sucked for me. I had to wait for the DVD to come out. To, I mean, I did go see it in the theater a second time, but when you're in college and fucking movies are eight bucks a piece or whatever, like you don't want to be blowing your money doing that when you'd rather be out drinking or whatever. But when the DVD came out, I remember it was one of like deluxe two discs and had all this shit. <laughs> but one of the special features was you can do this fucking puzzle. And if you solved the puzzle, you could then unlock a track that played the entire movie in chronological order. Uh. And here's what's fucking awesome is before this, when I wrote this down as my number three and I tossed between where it would fall in my top five, I went out to my garage where my DVD wall is and I pulled it out and you pull out the DVD and out fell the piece of paper that is the fucking Contra cheat code, you know, the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. It's the, I wrote it on a piece of paper and put, it's in that DVD still to this day of how you can pop it in, do the fucking sequence and watch the film in the, theatrical order or the, the broken chronology. <laughs> it's fucking, it, dude. That's amazing. And I remember getting that DVD, solving that. And literally watching it twice back to back. I watched it once backwards and then forward. And I'm like, and that, it really helped and unlocked what's fucking going on Mm -hmm. as far as Teddy, the fucking cop who he thinks is helping him, really has been using him to kill people for a whole fucking year. 
And then it really solidifies that Leonard, played by Guy Pierce, the guy with the mental problems or the short-term memory problem, that is, he does consciously unrealize, like, oh, fuck, I've already killed the man who killed my wife, the John G or whatever. Would, would John Pack, like, what, what's, what's his name? Well, he wasn't even, the, the, first, the real guy wasn't even a John G. Yeah. Um, the John G part came because Teddy needed him to kill uh, the drug dealer, Jimmy Grant, who was Carrie Ann Moss's boyfriend or whatever. But there's a matrix connection. There's there. a, right. But, but, but he even said, I'm a, at one point he's like, I'm a John G. Right. Right. He's, he's like, like, you know how many John G's are? He's, he's like, like, I'm a John G. He's like, your name's Teddy. He's like, my mother calls me Teddy. Hell, I'm John, John, whatever. He says, I'm a fucking John G. Your name's Teddy. But, yeah, he realizes finally at the end, Guy Pierce and is like, all right, Teddy's a crooked fucking undercover cop who's been having me kill these people for him, taking advantage of my condition. I've killed the two junkies. Well, he shot one of the junkies in the head right there on the spot in the bathroom when his wife was killed, but one guy got away. He found, He's like, all right, I found and killed that guy. But tell you what, you know what, Teddy, you're a piece of shit. Will, will I lie to myself to keep this going? In your case, Teddy, I will. And then that's when he writes down the license plate as Teddy's driving away. And then that's when he goes and gets the license plate tattooed and puts it together. So in the very beginning of the movie, we see him kill Teddy. And then the movie reverses and we you get to the why. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, fucking, it's just incredible. It's a great revenge movie. But then it really kind of spins it on yourself because... He's already gotten the revenge in the whole movie we watch. Really, is just the dude with the condition who doesn't know how to live without that revenge. Like, his wife was taken from him, and he avenged that, but now he just doesn't know how to live without it. And I just thought that was incredible. And then... That's my number three, Christopher Nolan. Thank Beautiful. you for that. What's your number two? My number two... We're going all the way back to 1987. It's a good year. I'm in kindergarten. Kindergarten cop. That's on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the, you're you're in the ballpark. Um, it's 1987. I'm in kindergarten, and my mom takes me to the theaters to see a movie called RoboCop, directed by Paul Verhoeven, another guy who had a really good string of movies. It's like. Okay, RoboCop. Cop works in this fucking kind of nice area, but he wants to go into Delta City, formerly Detroit. It's basically a, it's it's a it's a world where Detroit has been basically bought out by a corporation, by this company called the Omni Consumer Corporation, because the city is so out of control. They're like, we'll just privatize the city and we'll put it back on track. Alex Murphy goes in there and uh, fucking. Uh, it's like, they're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing in the worst fucking police precinct in the world? Like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's just like, I don't know. I just want to be in the shit. It's one of those type of things. It's like training day. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? And, uh, fucking Brian De Palma's fucking ex-wife, uh, is his partner. Um, why am I, why, why am I not remembering Nancy Allen's character's name? Lois, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. So, they they go out fucking uh they go out they get they they're chasing down this fucking gang headed by red foreman from that 70s show <laughs> and they get the drop on uh 
Peter Weller and they fucking shoot his hand off and then they shoot him to death and he dies. And uh, this uh, this guy named uh, Bob, who works for uh, Omnicorp, he's basically been working on this program where he's like, uh, "We're gonna, I want to make robot cops. That robot cops, they're, they they don't get tired. You don't have to fucking pay them. You don't have to do any of that shit. You don't have to sacrifice people's lives. We'll just make robots that go out there and fucking, uh, you know, clean up the fucking streets. But we need, for some reason." We need to put a human component within it. So they take what's left of fucking Peter Weller's body and they put it inside of a machine. They wipe his memory. Uh, that's one part of the movie I really like is you kind of see the process. It's, it's this POV shot where it's like he's in this lab and they're like fucking drilling his face. You can't see what they're doing. You don't see what he looks like because the reveal comes later. But they, but he, he's still – there's still a human inside of him but basically – um, he's dead. So he has a family, he has a fucking kid, but he's dead. Now he's property of the fucking OCP. So they turn him into a fucking robot cop. They turn him into a RoboCop. And RoboCop goes out, fucking starts kicking ass all over the fucking street, cleaning up the fucking streets. And um, at some point, he starts to have memories of his life, which is supposed to be impossible. He's dead. They were supposed to uh, wipe his memory. And then he's starting to what's left of his brain. He's starting to remember that he had a life. He was like, he was a person. He had a family. And now that's kind of like his humanity is starting to creep. It's starting to break through, you know, like they tried to make him into a fucking robot, but his humanity was able to break through all of it. And he remembers that fucking, uh, this gangster Clarence Boddicker and all of his fucking gang killed him. So he decides to fucking go after them. And we have amazing shootouts. We have cocaine. We have chrome fucking uh, uh, grenade explosions. Amazing fucking thing. He fucking, uh, he, he kills fucking Laura Palmer's dad. Uh, <laughs> Ray Weiss. I love Ray Weiss. Who's going to be at Texas uh, Frightmare Weekend in Dallas next month. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him. And I'm going to get a picture of him. And I'm going to put it right next to my Peter, Peter Weller Robocop uh, picture on the wall. Um, he, yeah, he gets his revenge. He, he kills all the guys who killed him, took his life away from him, but he sort of has new life as this RoboCop character. He, he's able to still be a cop. He still has a shred of his humanity. And, um, I mean, he still lives basically in a, it's sort of the judge dread dilemma where it's like, you have a hero who cleans up like the worst of the worst scum and the most fucking, polluted over fucking populated crime ridden city, but it's still under like this fascist dictatorship, but the, the dictatorship is sort of just glossed over for sure. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, I mean, people get shot in the dick. It's, you know, a lot of satire. Paul Verhoeven was on, which is great because I think a lot of really good American satire is just done by people who just aren't American for sure. And Paul Verhoeven was, I mean, it's that it's fucking starship troopers Showgirls, um, showgirls, hundred percent, hundred ten percent, and I'll buy that for a dollar. I will fucking buy that for a dollar, and <laughs> and it, I mean, all the satires there, fucking like sort of like residual Cold War fears, consumerism, violence, sex, all these things, and and, and it, it's all going to be saved by this guy who just wanted to be a family man and like help. 
mm-hmm. and make things better. But for his trouble, he had his ent- all of his humanity taken away. Right. You know, it, there's 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 levels to RoboCop, but it's a great film. But when you're five, and R-rated movies are directed for children, sure. There's comic books. There's toys. There's the there's cartoons. Were great. The, the cartoons were awesome. There's there's costumes for Halloween. It's I own an adult sized RoboCop costume. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's it's and, and I was I was wearing it the day that I uh, proposed to my wife. Holy shit! I wasn't wearing it when I proposed. I thought about it, right, right, right. But I didn't. Um, she dressed up as the Love Witch from the movie The Love Witch, and I was RoboCop. And we went out to a, a goth club and danced all night. It was a Halloween, Halloween party, I assume. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or you just on mushrooms it. in Oakland. It was beautiful. Well, I just figured maybe on you know you guys hit the the goth rave and fuck. I'm wearing the RoboCop, so I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping Austin weird. What do you want from me? <laughs> so, so Ro- Ro- RoboCop. RoboCop. It's incredible. one of my absolute favorite fucking um sort of like revenge stories. But it's got everything. It's got action. It's got stop motion animation. It's got if you if you were a kid who grew up in like the 80s, early 90s. It, it hits all these buttons that just aren't hit now. Sure. Like, it's so thick with nostalgia. It's, like, part of my DNA at this point. I loved RoboCop when I was a kid. This is going to sound totally stupid, but it's true, so I'm not going to lie. Um, I loved it as a kid, and I don't think I understood anything of it because I would have never considered it to be a serious film or a film that had deep artistic merit mm-hmm. if, if that that's like the best way i can put it right like it was a movie that i loved like i fucking love tango and cash i'd mentioned that earlier or like um you know i love shitty fucking you know sylvester stallone movies or whatever but i'm not gonna argue in front of the court of like the movie gods that it belongs next to 2001 and space odyssey right yeah RoboCop was a movie as a kid that i was like this is fucking badass and like you said the toys the the comics everything but later in the 90s, early 2000s, I got a DVD player. And now I'm fucking buying a bunch of DVDs. The Criterion Collection was like, fuck, kind of like a North Star in a lot of ways. Like, if Criterion put something out and I hadn't heard of it, I was like, well, I want to watch it. Because the Criterion Collection is just puts out fucking bangers. It had it had real clout then. It had clout. And, and, and if, yeah, and... But and their DVDs were fucking expensive too. Like, and if you didn't get them early, I feel like they've always been thirty dollars. Right, right. Even it, even back then, yeah. And so, but and then, but some of them would go out of print. Like the the Jonathan Demi uh, fucking uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you like, I bought it when it came out. Thank God. And like a month later, this shit was eighty bucks on eBay or whatever. Right. Like, but when Criterion did RoboCop. It's like Criterion Radiate or some shit. It's it's a lower lower number, but I was like, they did RoboCop. I was like, wait a minute, what am I missing? Because that was like fucking Last Action Hero, and I'm going to do a double feature of Arnie and fucking RoboCop. Then I went back and rewatched it under a different lens, and was like, oh shit, I was too. You're too young for satire, but now now you're not. And so sounds dumb, but the Criterion Collection putting that out made me. <laughs> go back and kind of realize the genius of RoboCop. And it's and it's there's not in my opinion, I could be off cuz there's so much shit out there that I'm not watching, you know, but it's there's very few um I don't know, artistic minds that are doing 
So I, I mean, I think like Pixar does a really good job of like, there's things that Pixar puts out that you will see, like people will see as a child and then they will show their kids when they're adults and go back and watch and be like, Ooh, there's Pixar movies. There's stuff for adults in here that just fly over kids head for sure. And it's so layered. The older you get, it's almost like it's designed to be like the older you get and you go through these stages of life and you go back and revisit these movies, it's there's something they're waiting to just kind of tap you on the shoulder and be like, remember me? And right, like, right. Oh, shit. Yeah, What's the, up, Robocop? Right. The kid didn't get that, but but the kid got the funny joke or this, yeah. but then now the adult, you can get that. That's a good way to put it. Especially movies where it's like, there's like a huge sense of loss, like something like um, like Up. Oh, God, I love Up. Where, where it's like you get old, not old, but you get older, grandma dies, For maybe, sure. maybe you lose a parent. Maybe like and then you, you knew somebody who died. You know, I feel like stand by look at stand by me. I feel like stand by me is like that where it's just like anonymous fucking kid dies who wants to go see a dead body. We go through this trek, this trek to go see it. But when you once you see the dead body, it's like it's just a dead guy, and it's just there's nothing fun about it. Right. It's just like and the part of it's like the, a part of their child, their childness Die, dies. Dead, dead. Yeah. It totally does, and it, and 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 then now they had now they they go back home, different people, different people, and and I can't even believe I'm fucking circling this back to fucking RoboCop, but I feel like RoboCop is that way. You go back and watch it, and when you, as you become cynical, mm-hmm. and as you get older, you go back and watch RoboCop for like the surface level fucking the dick shooting, the cocaine, fucking you have twenty seconds to comply, <laughs> all that shit, but it's like. You know, once you start watching like the news, start following politics a little bit, you start following the economy, you start following your fucking four hundred one k and what's going on with that. You go back and watch RoboCop with like a little more of a cynical mind, and it's like, you know, you're kind of reminded of like, fuck, like I should try really hard not to suck because (laughs) adults suck, and I don't want to be one of those adults that suck for sure. And it's funny too is that like that when was RoboCop made? Like nineteen eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty seven. People were dunking on Detroit in 1987. Like, it was one thing, like, in the 90s the, or late 90s to, like, even, like, right now, people just like, God, Detroit, what a shithole. Like, mm-hmm. give Michigan back to Canada, right? Poor, poor <laughs> Detroit. Like, and I, I actually fucking love Detroit. I wish it could get revived and thrive. But, yeah, man, when the American automobile died, that fucking city went to shit. And, but... It's like, man, 1987, people were fucking like, oh, God, Detroit, what a shithole. We're just going to privatize it. You know what yeah. I mean? But, no, yeah, it's a good way to put it, man. Like, uh, So, yeah, Criterion saved it for me. and I, Well, not saved it, but I watched it through a different lens and was like, man, there's a lot going on here. It's a great mm-hmm. movie. And, uh, and and two's not that bad either. It's when you got Tom Noonan in there. Right, Tom. Fucking holding it down. Like, fucking big, it, big, big, goofy Tom Noonan. Fucking Kane. They put him in a machine, too. <laughs> They're like, we can't just put anybody. They're like, let's get fucking, let's get the, let's get the tooth fairy from Manhunter. Let's, he, uh, he will be the other guy. Dollar Hyde. He will be Francis Dollar Hyde. Francis Dollar Hyde. And when they, when they uh, made the fucking Kane robots to fight Robocop, like they, after Robocop came out, there was so much bootlegged Robocop merch and toys coming out of like China that they couldn't stop it. So they're like, make a fucking robot. Uh, that's gonna fight RoboCop. That's so fucking complex that no, you, no one's gonna be able to fucking copy it. They can't bootleg it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it might have been NECA. 
but I, I think it was NECA, but the, I mean, they do all the really nice. I mean, they sell those in target now. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. They do with these amazing, like Michael Myers dolls and RJ McCready's from the thing, like beautiful action figures. But I think they did like a pretty, you know, pretty big size fucking cane robot, um, like action figure at some point, which I would love to own, but fucking who knows how much that goddamn thing. And, sure. and where would I put it? Probably, I'd probably put it in that chair. Put it, it in that chair. It would hang out. to the creep show pillow. I'd be leaning back on the creep show pillow. Thanks for the ride, lady. That's right. And and I'd have a little, <laughs> I'd have a little capsule of nuke <laughs> next to it. Um, fuck, I was going to say something too. You just triggered something a minute ago. Oh, Talk about how revisiting RoboCop is fucking genius. I will argue in front of the court of the movie gods right now until the day I die. Showgirls is a fucking incredible movie that it just got masked over, I think, by like terrible, terrible acting. Like, yeah, the lady who leads the front, the girl from fucking Saved by the Bell or whatever is terrible. Of something Elizabeth Berkeley, whatever her name is, but fucking my boy from from Twin Peaks is in it. Yeah, but Cal McLeod isn't isn't fucking Gina Gershon is in it. Who's who? And and isn't the, the the black girl? Isn't she from Silence of the Lambs? Oh, uh, I don't. Isn't know. she Jodie Foster's fucking friend in Silence of the Lambs? I, I might I might be. Uh, just no, I don't know. I don't think so. No, but you know who is is Glenn Plummer, who I talked about earlier. Oh my god! From uh, Strange Days, and what movie was he in in my top list? I was like, oh my god, Glenn Plummer's in that. He's fucking awesome. Uh, uh, my Blue Heaven. No, he was not in My Blue Heaven. <laughs> Fuck! What movie was he in? We were talking. It doesn't matter. Go back in the thing. But Glenn Plummer, who was in, uh, he was Jericho in Strange Days and stuff. He's yes. in. He's in Showgirls. Nice. My number two. Like I'll just pause. I know the I knew the Revenant wouldn't be on your list because we talked about it at work one time. I know. I, I think you caught me on a bad day. Too. No, 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 no. It's fine. <laughs> you, you you just said the movie's great and looks beautiful, but the revenge is bullshit. That was your quote. The revenge is bullshit. But anyway, <laughs> I'm like, well, they killed his son, and he goes back and he fucking kills the guy who killed his son, and everybody on the way. I think that's that fits my definition of revenge. Okay. I'm shocked. And now that I'm thinking about how I'm, like, putting the words into the air, of like, I'm shocked this one isn't on your list. Because um, <laughs> I know it's not going to – I know what your number one is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm shocked this one's not on your list. But as soon as, like, those – the words left my lips, I'm like, actually, I'm really not shocked. That makes yeah. sense that you don't like him. But my number two is a 2003 film, I think. Uh, it's Old Boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, – that's a basically, if I had to sentence that, I, I tried to do one sentences for what is it, what, what is it avenging? What's the revenge? That one is avenging uh, the gossip train and how loose lips and gossip led to the death of this guy's sister. And it's like, your shit talking may, led to my sister dying, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to get my revenge on you. I'm sure everyone listening has seen it because you've seen it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, it's what Park Chan Wook, uh, who did The Handmaiden, which is one of my favorite films of all fucking time. The Handmaiden's incredible, but I just think Old Boy is, I think it's just a straight up fucking masterclass of incredible filmmaking. And yes, so Parasite won a bunch of awards and was like this American, like, oh my god, this Korean movie. Parasite was the fucking shit, and I loved Parasite, which I already said. 
before Parasite, I felt like 2002 or three, whenever Old Boy came out, to 2018 or 19, whenever Parasite came out, when any ask anybody like, "Well, what's the best Korean movie?" Old Boy, Old Boy, Old Boy, for sure. Like, it's I think it's just an incredible fucking piece of filmmaking, and it's so deranged and so fucked up. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, the plot is. A drunken guy is out one night, and he buys a gift for his daughter's birthday, and then he gets snatched up and thrown into what looks like a hotel room but doesn't have any windows. It has a metal door with a little doggy door where they fin. Anyway, this guy's held captive for like 15 years in the Korean versions, 20 years in the Spike Lee remake. But for 15 years, they keep him in this room. They throw a tray of fucking fried dumplings under every day, and... You're stuck in one room with no fault with a fake window scene of a farm. And this guy just goes absolutely fucking nuts and he tries to get out. And he, as the years go on, he starts tattooing the years on him and stuff. And he finds a way and he thinks, I'm going to get out in a month. I'm going to get out. And then right when he's about to get out, for some reason, his captor fucking lets him out and they put him in a case and throw him in the middle of a field or on the roof or whatever. And they're like, all right, you're out. And then, He's just kind of being fucked with by the person. He's like, I'll give you five days to figure out who I am and why I locked you up or whatever. And he's just kind of like, I want to get revenge on the person who just helps. This is like a double entendre of revenge. I want to get revenge on the person who just locked me up. And I want to find out who they are. But then when he finds out who they are, it turns out like, oh, fuck. Somebody was getting revenge on me. Turned out as one of his classmates when he was in high school. He saw a classmate basically you know making out with his sister but like sucking her boobs like actually mm-hmm. like full-on which is not technically making out which is not making it's, it's more than making out that's second base well what base is what base is titty sucking i mean that's second base right that's got to be more than second base i would like first base is kissing second base is touching boob right so third base i mean i mean if you're kissing and you're touching the boob and your mouth just goes from up to down. But pretty much once you go past the boobs, if you keep going lower. That's third base? Yeah, it's it starts becoming third, third base. And then home home plate is just when you're driving in. That's Yeah. Okay, that's, all right. Yeah. So he saw a guy at second base, full-on titty in mouth. Nice. And then went and told all of his classmates. He's like, holy shit, that dude was sucking on his sister's fucking breastuses. And everyone at school fucking laughs at the sister and drives and she dies. And then this dude spends his whole fucking life putting together this revenge plot where he took this guy away from his four-year-old daughter. Remember I opened with, he was buying a gift for his daughter's four-year-old birthday. And then when he releases him, he fucking has this plot in motion through hypnotists and all kinds of shit where this guy basically runs into and winds up sleeping with his own daughter. And then the reveal is like, so here I am. I'm your classmate. You did this. And by the way, I fucking played you like a marionette and uh, you just banged your daughter. And the dude just, <laughs> just loses his shit and cuts out his tongue. And it's like, I'm really fucking sorry. I didn't mean, you know, like I, I fucked up. I didn't mean to kill your sister, but please don't tell my daughter that I'm her dad or whatever, you know? And yeah, it's just so fucked up and deranged. But to me, man, like I have never seen a revenge tale that twisted and that fucked up. That stands out to me. 
but the craft of the filmmaking. And it's Asian, so it's like it burns different than American cinema. They have more patience than Americans do. Mm-hmm. And their culture and society is more patient. And the film shows that. You know what I mean? And 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 it just beats to to a different heart, if that makes sense. And anyway, I think it's incredible. And I'm shocked that it it's is. not on your list. Um I like Old Boy a lot. It's amazing. Um the uh What's homeboy's name? Choi Min Sik, the 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 main character, the old old boy. Old boy, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, yes, he's one of those guys who, if like, if that dude is like that, that dude could have done the fucking Chow Young Fat move. He like, he could have just like showed up in America, and started doing American films too, and probably been also enormous fucking actor and shit. Because and, like. He was in I Saw the Devil. Did you see I Saw the Devil? I fucking love I Saw the Devil. Like, how goddamn terrifying is that dude in I Saw the Devil? Fucking brilliant. And, yeah, when I saw Old Boy, I was like, this is so fucked up. And it is. It's it, they're the patience to torture somebody that long. Um, or to set the plan in motion to be like, well, I need the daughter to get old enough for this dude to, like, legitimately bang her yeah you know what i mean like it's fucking twisted and demented oh and i even skipped over one of the most fucked up things is once the dude who the 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 puppet master if you will once he's like okay cool do you got it do you got how i did it and how i fucked with you and and did it all okay well now i'm just gonna blow my brains out because my life is done i've completed my life like there's nothing more for me and he fucking blows his brain out. it's like the greatest korean scooby-doo episode ever <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's incredible it is it's that's a very very good pick that's my very number good. two so we are now down to your number one is oh that right God. that's true i i am going to predict <laughs> boldly, boldly. You, you can try and predict my number one okay but all right do you not want me to predict it if you don't we can edit this out and tell me, like, no. <laughs> tell you what, can I predict it be you? How about you write it down and not show me, and then I'm, I'll say it, and we'll see if it's if it's true. How about that? Okay. Go ahead. My number one is the 1994 Frank Darabont film, The Shawshank Redemption. You're lying your dick off. That's my, that's my favorite number one revenge film. Is it really? It is. Okay. I am wrong. Gladly. I love Shawshank and didn't even think about it, but I am shocked that Kill Bill did not make your list. I love that movie since, uh, and actually, and it was back in October when my wife and I went on uh, our honeymoon. We were, uh, we were flying from Massachusetts to uh, Texas and uh, I was watching The Fugitive. I fucking love it. And we were like, I was like, and I, and we, before I put it on, she was like, uh, somehow Shawshank Redemption came up. And she's like, I I never saw that. And I'm like, are you serious? And I just paid for it. I'm like, watch this now. Bro. The feeling that I had when the fucking warden moves that fucking poster and sees that hole. Her mouth just agape. In shock, and she turned and looked at me, and I'm just sitting there. And when the second we locked eyes, I was like, "I know, right?" She's like, "I can't believe he fucking escaped." 
So no one in the world had ever spoiled that for her. No. She had, you know what I mean? Because like now we're full of spoilers. Like, yeah. I know who that Ned Stark gets his head cut yeah. off or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Wow, no one had spoiled that for her. No. Or maybe maybe we've done like this we've came so far that it's not, you know, it doesn't matter, you know what I yeah. mean? Or something. That's incredible. And, and so Shawshank Redemption, we have uh we have Andy Dufresne, he's a banker, very sharp guy, and uh a guy goes to his house in the middle of the night, kills his wife, and he's framed for the murder. He goes to court, he loses, and he has to go to jail. He goes to Shawshank prison. Ran by a fucking horrible warden and fucking uh, Clancy Brown, the stepdad from Pet Cemetery 2. He's also the Viking from Bad Boys, which I recommend. It's one of the greatest prison movies ever made, and it's all teenagers. Beautiful. So He's also in Carnival, the HBO show. It's incredible. Yeah. It, it, you know, what was it? Because uh, the, was it the, the little person guy. He was like the main. He ran everything, right? I'm thinking of the same uh, show, right? That's Carnival, yeah. And every time he would have some kind of, someone would bring something up to him, he'd be like, I don't think management would, would like that. That's correct. I said that to so many people when I was working in the restaurant industry. People would come to me with some shit. I was too fucking, I'm like 16 hours into my fucking shift and I'm hungover and shit. Someone coming to me and I'd be like, look, management wouldn't, won't have that. Just so you know, and they, they don't even know who I'm even referring to, which is kind of how that guy character was. No one knows who he's referring to. Who's like who's management? Clancy Brown plays a uh, a priest preacher who, because basically Carnival never really came to fruition. Like the guy who wrote it wrote like sixty episodes, or he's like, here's my five season sixty sixty episode plan, right? Uh, and it never never got there, but. If you watched a little bit of it, Nick Stahl is the dude who the, leaves the Dust Bowl, takes his fucking family, and he joins the carnival. And the carnival was full of all these people with uh, powers and shit was going on. Like, mm. these people were not just normal folks, and there was something more at play with the with the carnival, which is the management that he would talk to. Nick Stahl was basically going to be like one force of good and Clancy Brown, this fucking preacher was basically going to be the evil force and yeah. where it was going to go was those two were going to be going against each other. And it never just never came to be because HBO fucking canceled it. I anyway. fucking, I, I love Clancy Brown. Yeah. That guy's so goddamn amazing. So fucking Andy Dufresne goes to Shawshank prison. He fucking he runs into the sisters gang they fucking chase him around in the boiler room. He gets raped a whole bunch of times, and then he realizes that, like, this, this, I got a long prison term, and I need to fucking do something about this. So he goes and fucks up the sisters. They leave him alone. Fucking he makes friends with Morgan Freeman, who's also there for a very long time for murder, and they kind of become buddies. And at some point, uh, Andy Dufresne, uh, the warden, is like, uh, oh, hey, uh, like I, I need a fucking I need a and someone with like a, an accountant brain who can basically help me extort a whole bunch of fucking money from the prison. Cook my books. Cook the books, <laughs> and and Andy Dufresne fucking cooks the books for the fucking Warren. He gets little perks here and there. You know he fucking gives pie to fucking Morgan Freeman. He gets a library put into the prison. Very nice fucking uh, d- dumbass. They play fucking Hank Williams. Yada, yada, yada. And 
they fucking kill the Elvis kid, you know, and at some point Andy Dufresne, um, he, he, you're kind of led to believe that he's, uh, he realizes that he's never going, he's going to die in this prison and he's going to be the fucking warden's bitch for the rest of his fucking life. And he, there's a few times where he tried to go against the fucking warden, got the shit kicked out of him, thrown, in, solid, the thrown yeah. in the fucking hole, gone into the fucking, uh, you know, to the hospital, you know, all the shit. And we also came up for parole a few times. And then and should have gotten paroled, but was shot down because the warden was like, "If I let you out, then who the fuck's my golden goose gonna be to cook these books?" So mm-hmm. yeah, he realizes I'm here for life because of this shitty warden. Yeah, and oh boy, the fucking warden. And so he ends up, he ends up fucking. You're led to believe that he's gonna kill himself. Okay, and and Morgan Freeman knows that something's up with him. There's like something's up with him. I'm worried about Andy, and then fucking fucking. Morning comes, everyone walks out of their cells for fucking, you know, bed check. Dufresne doesn't come out of his fucking cell. Fucking Dufresne, you're holding up my show. I shit you not. They go in the fucking cell. He's gone out of his fucking cell. And fucking, they go to Morgan Freeman. Well, well, what? Fucking, there's nothing here but these goddamn rocks. Everyone's in on it, including her. Boom, throws the fucking rock through the fucking poster. And you hear it just tink, 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 tink. Giant hole. Giant hole in the wall. Andy Dufresne has been fucking digging out his fucking wall and throwing it into the fucking yard for 30 years. And he was able to escape from fucking Shawshank Prison. Through a shit pipe. Through, he could, probably through uh, 500 yards of shit filth to freedom. Taco night. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he fucking he made it to the other side. But he also created a fake identity and fucking double crossed the warden and was fucking taking money and putting it into a separate account for uh, an identity he just created out of thin blue air, uh, era and then put it into a bank account that he had to get to once he got out of fucking prison. And he fucking basically sent a letter to the press and to the authorities saying that the fucking warden was responsible for killing a bunch of fucking prisoners, doing all this illegal shit, was skimming money, fucking they come for him. He fucking kills himself. Clancy Brown uh, was crying like a girl when they took him away. Andy Dufresne goes on a beach. He's sanding down his fucking boat. Morgan Freeman gets out, gets a job at the grocery store, meets Andy Dufresne at the fucking the on the beach. Happily fucking ever after. Fucking Andy Dufresne. Shawshank Redemption. That's my number one. Best fucking revenge story. Beautiful. Frank Darabont's genius. That, that's a guy who I put him up there with like, I don't know, like uh, William Peter Blatty, some guy who could just sit around and just write books if he wanted to. He can just write other people's fucking scripts, but he's like, oh, I'll direct something. And it's sure. brilliant. Fucking, I mean, especially William Peter Blatty gives William freaking Exorcist 1. Exorcist 1, great. Exorcist 2, bad. He's like, I'm going to do three because I fucking wrote the book. Does he only did one of the movie? Did the ninth configuration with fucking hair lips, Stacy Keach, <laughs> and then does fucking Exorcist three, which is all Exorcist three is great, ungoddamn believable. It's it's way up there in my favorite fucking horror movies of all time. I love that fucking movie. Um, yeah, fucking Frank Darabont, The Mist, everything he does, I like is the magic. Mist. The mist Every is little great. thing he does is magic. Yeah, The Mist is awesome. 
Man, what a time, right, before pre-internet where you can just create a uh, uh, a secret identity and fucking just out of thin air and make it work, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, hey, I committed a crime in this town and the fuzz is on me, so I'm just going to get in my jalopy and drive 30 miles that way <laughs> and start a new life because uh, <laughs> no one fucking knows shit about what's going on 30 miles the other way. Yeah. Damn, I want, I want to go back to those times. That's what Tombstone's like. <laughs> When they when they fucking like, you know, he takes the fucking guns, puts them on the fucking table. There we can be friends again. Fucking, he stabs the guy. Right, right. I got the horses. I got a boy boy at the hotel. Got the horses. That's why you're not wearing a bustle. That's why, Kate. That's why you're not wearing a bustle. And they and they just like ride to the fucking nearest town. That's probably like half a mile away. Right. And then he fucking Doc Holiday just fucking hustles everyone for the brilliant, brilliant. God, this simpler times. Simpler times. That must have been fucking great. Also, it's like a horse. It's like horses don't have license plates. <laughs> pull, pull me over, copper. No, dude, it's great. Did you steal that horse? No. no it's mine. You just cut its bangs and you'd be like, this is a different horse. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking brilliant times. My number one is has uh, already been said. Do you want to take a guess or no? No, I, no. I have no idea okay. what it is. Oh, see, I thought you were all in on the Kill Bill train. My number one is uh, is Conan the Barbarian. Very nice. Hands down. Slam dunk for me. Um, I have uh, Conan's broken sword tattooed from my knee to my ankle. Oh, my God, you do. That is the Conan broken sword. It even says uh, it's broken, of course, but uh, suffer no guilt, ye who wield this in the name of Krum. Um Also, um, um my my Nissan is a Nissan Rogue Crom, Rogue Crom spelled just like Crom. Oh, awesome! So when when the guy came to me, he's like, "You want to buy this?" And I was like, "Yeah." That's, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll take it." Then to hell with you. So yeah, I uh, <laughs> growing up, I loved Robert E. Howard fantasy. Eighties were a fucking ripe ass time for Frank Frazetta art and fantasy and all this shit. And uh, Conan the Barbarian just was like. Mixed in a pot. I mean, like uh, He Man and you know Masters of the Universe. All that shit is all ties into that, and that's just kind of my childhood. So I just loved fucking Conan. I mean, everything we already talked about it, so we don't need to go deep. But yeah, it's just a perfect revenge story. Like you killed my fucking dad and my mom, tore my whole village up, you enslaved me. I'm gonna fucking do everything I can. He kind of strays off and is just drinking and robbing for a while and. Punching goat or punching donkeys, <laughs> but uh, wasn't it a camel? Camel, 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 not yeah. a donkey, duh. But um, yeah, man, he gets his fucking revenge. He finds it two snakes, yeah. two, two snakes everywhere he goes. He wants the. He never lost sight of that north star, right? Of like two snakes. I'm looking for this fucking guy. Like every night before he goes to sleep, he sees Thulsa Doom, and you know, and when he wakes up, he's thinking about him, and just it's fucking incredible. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is fucking insane, amazing in that movie. He speaks like eight lines of dialogue, but he's fucking <laughs> just command. He commands the fucking scene when the camera's on him, and you can't yeah. take your eyes off. Him. You're like, fuck, this guy's charismatic, and he's got it. He can't speak for shit, but but it's so, like, we, but we have a soundtrack. We just just soundtrack him with him so with the good. fucking sword. The sword. You've seen the uh, the montage the. Fucking yeah. crossing the arms, fucking just fucking dudes up. Beautiful. You've seen a, you've seen the meme where the sword practicing scene by the beach where put somebody like uh it's a it's a fucking meme where they took out the sword and put glow sticks in his hand, so he's 
fucking swinging glow sticks around. I haven't, I haven't seen. Oh, that. dude, the internet is like undefeated, man. You got to find that. That's an older one. But oh lord, that's my number one. And uh, yeah, Conan the Barbarian. You that was your number three, huh? I was surprised that made your list. Yeah, that's my number three. But it I, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, grew up with Arnold. I love that movie. I love the the simplicity of it. I love the setting. I you know it's this sort of alternate fantasy world that's not too fantasy right it's almost like like it could have been a real thing you know what i mean and you know i I like movies that are not that are close to that but you know i don't know i i mean arnold in the 80s what are you gonna do he was inescapable he was fucking inescapable totally i I wonder if kids feel that way about the rock kids now maybe Kids between like eight and twelve, if they're just like fucking the rock, I'm gonna say no. Yeah, because you're talking Predator, two Terminator movies, fucking, fucking True Lies. <laughs> I mean, to- Her- Hercules in New York. I mean, just Total Recall. Total Recall. Yeah, it's like how do you even Running Man? Running Man. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. So. I have some kind of honorable mentions, like stuff that was on that could have been on the list, like contenders. Sure, and I'll, and some of these can are kind of are probably interchangeable, um, at least in my you know bottom by bottom five, um, maybe even in my top five. But um, you know, I, I needed to make a I needed to make a list for this show. Give me your give me your uh, your honorable mentions. My honorable mentions. Uh, the first one was uh, the Unforgiven. <laughs> you see what I just wrote on this piece of paper? So you guys can't see at home, but uh, I. Oh my god! He just wrote. It's like see David I, Blaine. I just wrote Unforgiven. Shit. So because I only came with five, and my five honorable mentions had to turn into six through ten. Yeah, I'm now basically was going to write out like my eleven through fifteen. Yeah, and so I was like, "Hey, give me yours," but I'm going to start writing. And I've already just I've already wrote Unforgiven, and you just said, "Well, Unforgiven." Okay. <laughs> the, like here, okay, here's a here's another one, a, li- a little bit more obscure. Um, Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Oh, dude, Ricky O is so fucking good. It wouldn't make my list, but it's great. Like I thought about it, I was like, mm, "Do I like that movie that much?" And I, I mean, I really like that movie. I like how absurd it is. I like the over the top gore, and but. And I'm not 100% sure if, like, the manga came out before the movie. I'm not 100% sure on that. But the story of, like, this guy goes into fucking Britain. He's basically has superpowers. But he's in the, the – basically, there's a, there's gangs that are working with the fucking warden. And they fucking run this place, like, you know. Every, every everyone who's not in the gang or works directly for the warden is basically, like, it's open season. So – but this one guy, Ricky O, he stands up to all the fucking baddest motherfuckers like a fucking video game. He fucking defeats all the goddamn bosses. And when he escapes from fucking prison, like, he doesn't quite do what Andy Dufresne does. He just punches a hole through a giant wall and it collapses. And everyone in the prison fucking runs to freedom. And, uh, yeah, Ricky O... Didn't make the list, but I I think it's an honorable mention because I have watched that movie a billion times. Yeah. What else? Uh, Oh, God. This is one where I think people are going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, uh, Luc Besson film, Leon the Professional. 
All right, so that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Is it a true revenge movie? This was the first one that I grappled with and ultimately decided it's not. It doesn't meet my definition. Sure. But why does it meet yours? Okay, so I didn't put it on my top ten, but I think it's an honorable mention, and I think the thing that kind of ties it all together uh, of when Leon puts the pin in Gary Oldman's hand and says, this is from Matilda. And when he opens up his thing and it's all of the, the fucking explosives and then boom, fucking Gary Oldman's fucking dead. And that's sort of, that's the fucking, that's sort of the revenge. Cause she was actively trying to get revenge the entire time. You know, she's like, you need to teach me how to fucking become a cleaner. This fucking, those scumbags killed my, my little brother. Cause she didn't give a fuck about her mom or fucking dad or anything like that. But the fact that his, her innocent little brother got fucking murdered. She's like, I have to fucking get these guys because I don't have anyone else. Well, I'm not going to go to school. I'm not going to go to some orphanage. Like, I, all I'm consumed with is is revenge. And you you kill people for a living. And you somehow are taking mercy on me. So I'm your problem now. So he does the whole thing where he teaches her how to fucking shoot and all this stuff. And, and from what I understand, the professional... Originally, uh, Leon was supposed to be like 15. Oh, not old John Reno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not fucking 48-year-old John Reno. But so when you watch the movie, you can kind of see there's a little creepy sub- sexual implications, but John Reno's uh, character is so kind of naive to people and um, sexual things are just not even on his fucking radar. He's sort of innocent that way. and. Mm-hmm. Then, and you, you see little glimpses of that, him drinking milk, him fucking, like, caring for his plant, you know, but he's, like, this fucking boogeyman, you know. You play with bullets. You play with them. Right, right. You know, that whole fucking thing. Danny Aiello. Um, but, um, I don't know, I think it didn't make the list because she wasn't the one who actually exacted the fucking revenge. Right, the revenge element wasn't enough for me, you know, like. Yeah, and, and. Yeah, I I mean, I think she got the outcome she wanted, but fucking, uh, you know, the one guy in the world that she loved got killed in the process. Right. And her family's still dead. She still has her revenge, but it's not as sweet as it could be. So, and sort of the, the idea is, like, she will eventually become a fucking cleaner like Leon one day, maybe. Right. You know, because I think um, fucking Tony's just like, anytime you need money, you come here, I give you money. And it's sort of like uh, that. That reminds me of like uh, you know, sort of the opening of uh, the Departed, where little Matt Damon, where he comes up to me, he's like, "Hey, if you ever want to make some money, you come and see me." And he puts the handful of change in his hand and <laughs> sends him off with the fucking bag of groceries and shit. I'm just like, that's what I picture. I picture, you know, you know, twenty year old Natalie Portman, fucking uh, I, Princess Padme, going and uh, you know, learning how to fucking shoot wise guys using her femininity to fucking get in there and fucking. Fucking start whacking people for Tony. That's how I picture it. I, that's like how I fantasize about it. So, you know, but it didn't make the list because I'm like, well, she sort of got her revenge, but it wasn't like her that exacted the revenge. Sure. So, but I love that movie too. It's love it. Unfucking believable. Um, you know, it was it was one of those. It. How amazing was it when you when Gary Oldman first got on your radar? Oh, dude! Jesus Christ! 
fuck between like true romance, the professional. You're just like, who the fuck is this guy? Fuck Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Like, who the fuck? Played Dracul. <laughs> fucking, this fucking guy licking the razor blade and shit. Fucking Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> um, let's see, what else was on my list? Oh, my God. Okay. We mentioned this earlier. Uh, the Running Man. Uh, that I was strongly considering the running man because it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger gets wrongfully accused. What was it? The 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 butcher of Bakersfield or whatever they called him. They they made fake footage of him uh, machine gunning people in a helicopter, mm-hmm. and they're like, "You're you're going to fucking prison, but you get to go on the fucking running man." And I feel like the running man is very kind of sort of runs parallel in almost like the RoboCop universe of this sort of like totalitarian world where it's not fucking Nazis and concentration camps. It's sort of like everything's a dystopia and the people who really run everything are just living in fucking like Tyrell Blade Runner towers and everyone else just lives under acid rain and just meeks out of fucking existence. And, uh, you know, but people need to be entertained. It's, it's like idiocracy. There's the running man. There's fucking ouch my balls. (laughs) (laughs) It's got electrolytes. It's what plants it's what plants crave. And yeah, I I love the Running Man, and uh, you know it's fucking it's good good fucking revenge. You know he he fucking uh, he wins fucking Running Man. He fucking kills all the fucking uh, goofy ass uh, characters, and he's able to make it out alive. I, I I like that a lot. And oh, another one. I don't know who am I to judge somebody. My yeah. my honorable mentions. I'll give you some bullets here. Unforgiven. You already named Django. We already talked about. Um, I put. I had Gone Girl on mine. I think that's a revenge story. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I, I thought Gone Girl was really good. Um, upgrade. Lee Wanell's Upgrade uh, is fucking awesome. You've seen Upgrade. Uh, no, I know what you're talking about, you and it. And, it, and it seems like something I'd be really into. Super fun. Yeah, it's a something happens. Dude gets bionic, Robocopish, yeah. but it's not satire like Robocop. It's like he becomes like a robotic Jason Bourne. He's he like, becomes, what is happening to me? He becomes fucking Jason Bourne ro- robot. It's great, wonderful. I love that. And then okay, so I wrestled at first with, and see, there's a reason why I guess I took Shawshank out, and I never even thought of Prestige. But one that was like I started with, and I was like, okay, Sicario, is this a revenge movie? And ultimately, I chose it's not. Yeah. Because it's to me, it's about so much more than, see, I think the revenge plot needs to be like front and center or the main it, driver. And it, it, the world needs to be very small. The, it, it can't be like, it can't be like a soldier in the middle of World War One. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Well, I, he he got a revenge story on you know, like yeah. I don't think Django. I'm sorry, uh, Inglorious Bastards to me is a revenge movie, right? Like, no, it's. But I'm saying, but there is a team of Jewish people who are trying to fucking kill Hitler, right? Like, mm-hmm. also, I don't think a revenge movie is something where, like, for example, Angel Heart. 
I call it a revenge movie because the Robert De Niro is the one who's getting revenge. Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. He's actively like, you wronged me. I'm going to get revenge on you. But a movie where the person, but then again, I threw Memento on my thing, but I threw Memento on there because in the end, Memento, he realizes like, oh yeah, I'm just fucking going to keep. Yeah. I mean, the revenge doesn't need to be righteous. No, no. It I don't need mean to, necessarily righteous. Yeah. I just mean like I think or the one of my definitions. I guess I should have opened with this is I think you need to know who you are getting revenge against, like who wronged you. Mm-hmm. And when it's a mystery where you're like, well, I don't fucking know, then that's a detective story or a gumshoe tale, right? Like, yeah. what you know. So with with Shawshank, I was like, well, that's the world's too big. It's a prison movie. It's about this, and then it. Then Andy Dufresne is like, well, I'm being wrong. I'm going to get revenge on the war. But I'm not. It's a great pick. Mm-hmm. But Sicario, it's this huge world about fucking American, Mexican, America and Mexico, I should say, relations, drug cartels, mm-hmm. what our government does and how the CIA, FBI is like, well, we can't really put this one on the books. So let's hire fucking Benicio Del Toro and off books. You can do whatever the fuck you want, Josh Brolin. Yeah. But... You know, Benicio Del Toro. You've seen Sicario, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. It's too big of a world, and there's too many moving parts. Too many moving parts. Like, someone does something over here, these people over here benefit, but they can't really take the credit, yada, yada, yada. But Benicio Del Toro's story, if he were the main character, if it was about him, that's pure revenge. He was an accountant for the Juarez cartel. Fucking his family got killed, and now he became a fucking a, a rogue assassin for the CIA. Um, so it's not a revenge movie, but it's on my honorable list because mm-hmm. if I had to pick revenge scenes, that dinner scene when they infiltrate at the end mm-hmm. and fucking Benicio Del Toro shoots that dude's kid and wife fucking in front of him, in front of him at his own dinner table, and then fucking blasts his ass. I'm like, that's. Very personal. It's very personal and revenge, but the movie Just the itself. setting, like killing somebody at their own dinner table. Like yeah. that just, like you pitch that to someone, people are just like, I love yeah, that. Damn, kill, I love it. Killing some putting, killing some dude's kids in front of them is fucking it's, personal. That's very, <laughs> that's not an accident. It's not an accident. So um, yeah, that's my list. Man. And the, the, the very last uh, honorable mention I have um, was uh, the original 1974 Death Wish. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And I kind of left it out because I felt like it was way too obvious, but um, I like uh, Death Wish 1, 2, and 3 a lot. They, I mean, it definitely gets campier as, by the time you get to 3, but I'm also, a, a, I love 80s canon films. I love that company. I love how fucking crazy it is. Um, there was that documentary, Electric Boogaloo, that basically tells about the rise and fall of canon films and how fucking wild it was. Mm-hmm. Um also, Death Wish 1, 2, and 3 were, I don't know about 4 and 5, but Death Wish uh, 1, 2, and 3 directed by the uh, same guy, Michael Winner. And pretty much that's what he's most famous for is just doing those three Death Wish movies. Also, he did um, an earlier 70s movie with Charles Bronson called The Stone Killer, which is kind of like a uh, exploitation film, basically. Where it, it, but it, but it, set the, it set the groundwork for like, okay, let's have a guy who just kills everybody <laughs> and but i i mean i'm a big charles bronson fan oh yeah bronson's great i love charles bronson but i just didn't feel like putting death wish on the list i thought it was just too obvious sure it's like putting kill bill on the list i'm just like eh. 
Yeah, I didn't put Kill Bill on the list because I'm not a fan of it. I think it's fine for what it is. It's just not my not, not my jam. Yeah, also you get your revenge by doing fucking exploding heart technique. It's dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. I do love David Carradine, though, but... Yeah. R.I.P. 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 Kane from Kung Fu. Yeah, I'm just going to walk, walk the <laughs> earth. And and with that, you know what Frank, they, You know what they call that? A bum. A b- <laughs> Without a residence, you eat what I throw away. No legal tender. No, <laughs> All right. Sorry, well, I interrupted you, man. <laughs> Inter- you delete well, that out. Well, Frank, thank you so much for coming on. We, I might have to cut this into a two-parter. Holy shit. I'm sorry, guys. No, no, that's good. That Oh, my God. We have been talking a really long time. It's been a long time. I apologize to everybody out there. <laughs> sorry for my ramblings. No, it's... Thank it, you for having me, man. I'm dude. I'm honored to be here, for real. Like, I love the show. I, I'm behind on some episodes. And then, you know, it's crazy. I'm fucking sidebarring again. But I would listen to, like, a new one, and I'm like, cool, I'm caught up. And then you mentioned, you were like, oh, I talked about Suburbia in my Bozy or... But yeah, I did an Eric Bogosian Eric episode. Eric Bogosian episode. And I'm like, wait a minute. I listened to that, but completely must have either paused or turned off or got to work. And then the suburbia segment hadn't came up yet. And then when I got in my car the next time, it just went to the next episode. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm listening to that Bogosian episode, but didn't hear the suburb. Anyway, my point yeah. is, is, thank you for having me. I am honored to be here. I love the show. I love I, I'm doing. honored to have you as my first actual first guest. I just put out episode 57 yesterday. Oh, I thought you've had guests before. You've talked to other people. Maybe that's that uh, other podcast. That's, that's on that's on my Patreon, and it's not as rigidly structured. Got it. That, that is, like, super loose. Like, yeah, yeah, we go to Alamo Draft House, and we fucking just come here and just get on microphone and just ramble. Got like, it. Okay. So, but this this was actual. We had an agenda going into we this. We did have an agenda. So, um, yes, Thank you again, Frank. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug? No, nothing. Just um, that comic book place in Dallas. Oh, no. I'm not sponsored by them. That is just where I get my comics. Uh, Deep Eddie, if you're listening, you should uh, sponsor Adam. Yeah, even though I said terrible things about you in a couple episodes. I, but you know what? We can, we can kiss and make up, and uh, <laughs> we, can get that, we can get that vodka sponsorship up and running again. All right. Well... Thank you guys for listening. If you uh, need to find me, you can find me on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. I'm also on Twitter at SF podcast ATX. And there's also a whole bunch of free audio episodes and some video episodes that are unfortunately behind a paywall on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory. Thank you again, Frank. This is skeleton factory podcast rescuing your movie night. One movie at a time. Check you on the next one. Bye, bye.